We're going to be in the book of Exodus, so if you guys would, go ahead and turn there, chapter 4, but uh, before we get into the text, i got to give you some sort of um, background, kind of a history of where we're at here, what brings us to the, the fourth chapter in Exodus. So at this time in Israel's history, uh, the children of Israel, um, or there was a famine back in the land, all the way back in Genesis uh, there was a famine in the land. And so the children of Israel were saved by the provision of the Lord uh, from the famine and brought into Egypt where they prospered and they began to multiply and they began to have kids and, and just the, the nation grew from 100 to about 2, 3 million people within 400 or so years. And so um, with that, the king uh, of Egypt, the Pharaoh, he was a little concerned that the, the children of Israel were, were growing so rapidly that if they wanted to, they could overthrow his kingdom. And so he had this power trip. And so he, he ordered that, uh, that they start enslaving these, these uh, Hebrews. And so they started making them do hard labor, making bricks. And then they started, uh, <clears throat> and then that wasn't enough. And so he ordered all the male babies to be killed in Egypt. And how they were going to do that is they were going to throw them down the Nile River. And so along comes the, the, the character of the book of Exodus, the main star, which his name is... Moses, right? So Moses is born. I'm sure you guys know this. Moses is born, and um, and his mother uh, hid him for three months, and then put him in this little raft and, and sent him down the river. And because of God's goodness and His faithfulness, uh, Moses ends up in the hands of Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh's daughter, and so he grows up for forty years in the the kingdom and the court of, of Pharaoh. And so this guy has anything and everything at his fingertips. He is uh, wealthy. He's got it all. And so I believe the that he gets this sense of a calling of what God wants to do in his life, which is take the children of Israel out of bondage and into um, freedom. And so he gets this sense of, okay, I'm going to go to my Hebrew people now, and I'm going to uh, do something about it. And so he sees this Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And so he looks around, sees that no one's there. And so he ends up killing the Egyptian. And what does he do with him? He hides him, uh, buries him in the desert, right? And then he goes out the next day and sees two Hebrews fighting each other. And so he's like, guys, what are you, what are you doing? Like, why? You guys are brethren. Like, don't do that. And so their response is like, what are you going to do? Kill us like you killed the other guy? And, and yeah, exactly. Like, whoa, you don't want to, you don't want to get caught by Pharaoh killing someone because then you're going to be done. So what does he do? He flees. He takes off and goes to Midian, which is modern day Saudi Arabia. And he meets this guy named Jethro, ends up being his father-in-law. He marries one of the guy's daughters. And, uh, and for 40 years, he spends in Midian just being a shepherd, tending to his father-in-law's flock. The Bible says in chapter 2 of Exodus that he didn't even have a flock of his own, that he was literally just taking care of his father-in-law's. And so there's a huge contrast between having it all, right, being the, the prince of Egypt. You guys remember that movie, by the way? Just a side note. Good movie. Anyways, from being the prince of Egypt to being this lowly shepherd in the wilderness, picking up, you know, after sheep, and it's not necessarily the most glamorous job. And so Moses is out in the Midian wilderness, and he comes upon this bush, and it's burning, but it's not consumed. And this is the, the famous story where we get uh, in chapter 3 of Exodus, where it's God meets and speaks to Moses through the burning bush. And he's like, hey, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. Don't come near. You don't even look at me. This is like, I am he, right? I am who I am. This is the big, the big um, climax of the story, right? And it's like the big block that they made movies after it and Veggie Tales after it and stuff. And we're all familiar with the kid's story. But I think that there's a lot that we as adults can glean from this story. 
Um, and this is where we pick up here in chapter four. If they're having this dialogue. God says, look, I want, I want to use you. And I want to use you, Moses. And you're going to take the, the children of Israel out of bondage and, and into um, freedom. And I'm going to use you to do it. And he's like, are you sure, you know, like, uh, do you know who I am? Remember, I was the guy that killed the guy in the desert, and I've been hiding out here. Just now I'm a lowly shepherd looking haggard and just old, and like there's nothing like desirable about me at this point. And God says, yeah, I'm going to use you. And, and Moses is like, uh, I don't know. Um, but God responds with, hey, look, I'm going to be with you. You're not going to do anything. You're just going to you're going to be my puppet, if you will, and I'm going to move and place you. I'm going to put the words in your mouth. I'm going to make you do all these things. And so it's going to be me working in and through you. All you need to do, Moses, is be obedient. And so Moses is like, um, or God begins to tell Moses, rather, of how everything's going to go down. He said, you're going to go to the, the elders of, of Israel, and you're going to say, hey, look, God came to me, and he said, you know, I'm the guy that's going to lead our people out of here. And uh, they're going to listen to you, Moses. And then you're going to go before Pharaoh and you're going to tell him, let my people go, right? And, uh, and, and Pharaoh's not going to listen. And so I'm going to do some signs and wonders through you. And then Pharaoh will listen and he will let you go. Not only will he let you go, but you're going to get some parting gifts as you leave as well. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to not leave you empty-handed. And so God lays out step by step what's going to happen. Uh, and side note, how many of you guys would be super thankful and grateful if God actually did that to us in our lives? right? Like, but most of the time he says, I want you to do something and doesn't give us any details, right? He just look at, waiting for our obedience before he gives us the rest of the story. But in, in this case, he doesn't do that. He tells Moses exactly how it's going to go down. And so if you're Moses, and if I'm Moses, our response hopefully is what? Sure, okay, send me. I'm the guy. I'm your guy. But chapter 4, verse 1, Moses and God having this dialogue at the burning bush, says this, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me, talking about the, the Israel uh, elders. Suppose they will not believe me and listen to my voice. And suppose they say, the Lord hasn't sent you or appeared to you. And then God says this here in verse 2, which is crucial. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Moses responded, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground and became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached his hand out and caught it, and it became a, a rod in his hand. And then God says this, that they may believe that the Lord God of uh, their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So Moses at the burning bush, here we are. And the first thing out of Moses' mouth is like, uh, are you sure? What if, what if you're lying to me, God, and they don't believe me? Um, and then God asks this, this really important question that I believe um, has a lot of significance for us as Christians as well. God asks Moses this, this very important question. He says, what is in your hand? So Moses' response is like, well, it's just a rod. But it wasn't just a rod. You remember, um, Moses spent the last 40 years of his life with this rod as his trusty sidekick. He no longer had people fanning him with palm leaves and feeding him grapes like you see in the movies, like in Egyptians, but he had this rod to keep him company. And the rod was, was this instrument that was used to um, accomplish his task. He was a shepherd, and so this was his livelihood. This was his, his, his comfy blanket, if you will. How many of you have kids that had like a comfy blanket? So my son doesn't have a comfy blanket, but he has his shoes, and he won't go anywhere without his shoes. 
Um, and he whines and cries. If, like, if I have my shoes on, he wants his shoes on. Even if he's not going anywhere, he goes, shoes, you know. And so I imagine that for Moses, this rod was, was a, sense of, um, a sense of comfort. It was a, a, uh, more than just a, an instrument and a tool. It meant his livelihood. This rod represented much more. And actually, you look back at chapter 2, um, and it says in verse 21 that Moses was content to be where he was at. So not only was he content to be now a shepherd, he once was the prince of Egypt, and now he's a shepherd, so he's content there. But what that shows me is that he wanted to be there. He liked what he was doing. This, this right, it was so much easier just being a servant in the desert than it was being the guy that was going to lead the charge out of Israel, right? So he's like, oh, whew, God found someone else, so I'll just be good with being a shepherd. And so the rod, I assure you, it wasn't bedazzled. It wasn't gold-plated. It had no magical powers. Um, you know, being uh, junior high and, and high school and being involved with that for, my wife and I were talking, it's been nine, nine years um, that we've been doing it here at the church. And um, there's fads that, that go through. And one of the fads is like, everything has rhinestones on it for the girls. Um, and a sweatshirt, one of the girls had a sweatshirt. Oh, it was, uh, we were playing softball Friday night and their sweatshirt just had bedazzled everywhere. You know, it's just like, just rhinestones everywhere. I'm like, is that a thing anymore? Um, but anyways, the rod wasn't like that. It was nothing special. It wasn't gold-plated. It wasn't, it wasn't nice. It was this old, hum, humble rod that was used to, uh, to serve his father-in-law's flock. And you got to remember that Moses says he's being called here by God, and he's having this dialogue like, I don't want to go. Like, are you sure you got the right guy? Uh, as Moses is having this, this conversation, I think part of his hesitation is he realizes who he is. I mean, we know ourselves pretty well, right? I mean, we can hide a lot of things from others, but we can't hide anything from ourselves. I mean, we can try to lie to ourselves, but we can't hide anything. And, and to think that we can hide something from God is even more crazy. And so Moses knows who he is. Moses knows that he was a, previously a murderer. Moses knows that he has uh, insecurities and fears and just stubbornness. Um, and, and Moses, or God rather, quickly got Moses' attention off of himself when he was like, uh, are you sure you, you, I'm the guy? And he got it onto what was he could control. What Moses could control was that which was in his hand. There's a lot of things in life that you've already discovered, as, as have I, that is out of our control. Um, you know, we don't know, you know, when, when our deathbed is going to hit. We don't know when uh, a lot of things happen. But we, we do know a few things. And so <clears throat> Moses is fearful about what he didn't even know is going to happen. And so God gets his attention off that, and he, and he says, what's in your hand? So Moses says, it's, it's a rod. And uh, he says, okay, well, what I, want, <clears throat> what I want you to do is I want you to, to throw it on the ground. I want you to, to throw it on the ground. Um, and so God ends up, he throws it on the ground, and he ends up doing, turn, it turns into a snake, which is just weird. Um, but for whatever reason, God chose to turn it into a snake, and so that happened. But what I want to draw your attention to is Moses had a choice to make. Either he could have been obedient to what he could control, which is what God asked him to do, what he had in his hand, or he could choose to be defiant and not do that which God asked him to do. And the same question, or that we are put in the same situation or predicament. We can choose to be obedient to whatever God's asking us to do, or we also, um, by God's sovereignty, we can choose to disobey, and we have that free choice, and that free will to disobey the Lord. And so Moses, he... Uh, he, he lays it down um, because he could control that. Um, in L, we, we go to L.A. a couple times a year. 
um, or excuse me, once a year with the high school students. And what we, we do is, instead of a traditional winter camp, what we've done in the last couple of years is we do what we call Love the City. And it's an urban missions trip to L.A. where we go and just serve the community there. Uh, we do this activity called uh, Pastries in the Park, where we go to a Mexican bakery and, and buy a ton of pastries. And we go to like Pershing Square, right in downtown by Staples Center. And we go to a couple other parks and we literally feed the homeless. We don't just hand out, but we sit with them, have conversation, dialogue, and really get an opportunity to, to um, share our story with them and, and vice versa. And so we do that. And then another thing we do is they call it the city search. And they give us, it's almost like a scavenger hunt in LA or in downtown where you, we get dropped off in downtown and there's like, I'll, I'll be leading a group with like five or six students and all the other uh, leaders will have students with them and we'll go out into the city and we have this like kind of a checklist that we have to do. And it's like find water, find uh, public drinking water. So like here, you can go into, you know, uh, Five Guys or Chipotle or anything and say, hey, can, can I fill up my water? Or they have a the little thing, you do it yourself. Well, in L.A., that's not the case because the homeless population is so big that they don't want a bunch of homeless people coming in their stores. And so you can't get water if you're um, homeless. It's not easy to find. So you have to find a spigot somewhere or you can go and fill up your bottle, uh, bottle of water. And so th- that's one of the activities we do. Another one is uh, we are... We get $4, each of us in the group get $4, and we have to eat lunch for $4, which is a task in and of itself if you're, I mean, how many of you guys have kids that try to give their, here, here's $5, it doesn't work anymore, right? It's like, here's $20, you can go to Five Guys and maybe get a combo. Um, and so we're, we're charged with eating dinner, or eating lunch, rather, and then also buying uh, someone else's lunch. And so we... We're, we're kind of looking around, and I have a student with me, Matt Kramer, and, uh, and I say, okay, who do you guys want to take out to lunch? And so we're looking, and we're going in, like, in downtown. I don't know exactly where we're at, but there's a McDonald's over there. And so we're like, okay, we're going to go to the McDonald's. That's where we'll have lunch because we can get cheap food there. But who do we want to uh, take to, uh, <clears throat> to lunch? And so, <clears throat> excuse me, Matt finds this guy, and... Uh, homeless man. He's sitting on the ground and he's got um, no legs. He's got two prosthetic legs and they're unclipped and they're sitting in front of him. And the guy is um, dirty and smelly. He's got like a long beard, long hair. It's your, your typical, um, what you would see maybe in a movie for a homeless man, right? And I'm thinking, <laughs> not this guy, Matt. The guy didn't have any legs, you know? How, what, if, what, if he, what if I have to carry him or something? You know, I'm thinking all these stupid thoughts, like all these like just Showing how black my heart is at this point, you know. Here we are trying to serve and be servants, and I'm like, want to be selective on who I choose and who I don't choose. And so the Lord, in His infinite wisdom and graciousness and goodness, He says, "Okay, here's the guy in front of you. This is the guy you're going to pick." And I'm like, "Matt, it's funny you said that because he, I was going to pick him too." You know, <laughs> God is so good. Um, so I, I say, "Yeah, that's a great, great choice, Matt." Mumbling under my breath. Um, so we take him to lunch, and his name is Michael, and uh, we, we sit down with him, and we, you know, we got some chicken nuggets or something, and, uh, and, and so while the food's coming, we just had an opportunity to talk to one another, you know, so it's, I'm sitting here, and the, the tables are tiny, so I'm smelling him, and like, you know, and I'm just like not into it, you know, I'm just really, it's not like, I'm like, okay, God, like, here we are, you know, what are you going to do? And um, 
So we get an opportunity, he asks us questions, why are you here? And I said, oh, I had all the pastor Christian answers. Oh, we're here to be the hands and feet of Jesus and serve the lost and love on people and share Jesus with them. So I had all the right answers. But then in the course of our conversation, the Lord really softened my heart and said, look, this is who I have in front of you, Kyle. This is, you don't get to choose and pick and choose who, and who you're not going to talk to. This is who you're going to talk to because this is the person I put in front of you. And so... Um, he, you know, as I'm talking to him about why we're there serving and who Jesus is, and he starts to, to, to well up with tears. And I said, you know, what, what's going on? He said, I'm, I'm fearful. I'm scared. I said, what, what, are you, what are you afraid of? And he said, I'm afraid that when I put my head on the concrete at night, that I'm not going to wake up in the morning. And, uh, you know, and I, and I told him, well, the reason you're fearful is because you don't have the assurance of salvation. You don't know where you're going to go if, you, if God chooses to not wake you up and if you do die. And, uh, and I was like, and, and I explained salvation. I said, you know, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in the finishing work that he did on the cross, that he lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death, so that you and I could have salvation? He said, I can't be forgiven. And I'm thinking, of course you can. You know, as a pastor, this is something that you hear a lot, is that, oh, I, you don't know the sins that I've done. I can't be forgiven, which we think is silly because, like, of course. I mean, Jesus he didn't die for some sins. He died for all sins. All we have to do is just grab a hold of that. And he's like, you don't understand, Kyle. You don't understand. Um, he, and he gets real close to me. And he says, I just got out of jail for 20 some odd years for, for murdering my girlfriend. I cannot be forgiven. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, keep your cool. <laughs> You're the adult here, you know. <laughs> I got students surrounding me and they're thinking if I go into the fetal position right now <laughs> this whole situation is going to go bad and by God's grace um, you know he just gave me the word right then and there and he said you know what the Bible says that uh, if we have hatred in our hearts towards someone it's as if we've murdered and so you and I we're the same you know there, there's no difference except I've received that gift of salvation where you haven't and so I shared that with him, and he just starts weeping and bawling and bawling and bawling and bawling. And he receives the Lord Jesus right then and there and laid hands on him. We prayed for him, and God was good, and it was amazing. Um, but that's, that's what happens when, when we're faithful, even when we don't want to be faithful. But that's what happens when we answer the call of what's in your hand, what's right in front of you. Are you going to be faithful to that thing which is right in front of you? Me, I would have rather preferred to talk to the person who you know, wasn't so smelly or, or maybe hadn't murdered somebody that recently got out of prison. You know, maybe those are the choices I would have made, but that's not the choice that God made. And so with Moses here, when he's being asked, you know, what's in your hand? Um, you know, essentially he's like, look, whatever you have, I'll take and I'll do crazy and wonderful things with it. But I just require your obedience. That's all I'm asking for, Moses. Verse three, it says, um, and he said, God cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. Obviously, it was scary enough for Moses to, to bail. Verse 4, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it, and, uh, take it by the tail. So he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a serpent or a rod in his hand. In verse 5, it says, That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, of uh, Isaac, and the, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Um, so the rod turned into a snake. That's... How many of you guys are definitely afraid of snakes? And the, how, so me, 
I don't, like, they're not super scary, but of course I don't want to get bitten by one, you know? That's, like, not my thing. I don't prefer to get bitten by a snake. And so, but Moses obviously was afraid of snakes because he ran from it. And then what does God tell him to do? First, he, he lays down the rod, right? And that turns into a snake. And then God asks him to do something insane. What does he ask him to do? Pick it up. But where? By the tail. How many Steve Irwins are out there? <laughs> like, I'm sure Moses wasn't a snake whisperer. Okay, grabbing a snake by the tail is the most dangerous place you can grab it. Why? Because it can bite you, right? But we see the guys in the movies doing it, so it's like, oh, it's got to be safe. No, don't grab no snake by no tail. Please, save yourself that. So, but I think this is just a small exercise of um, just building Moses' faith and trust. Because you remember, Moses is going to be the guy that leads, you know, two million plus people out of Egypt through the Red Sea. I mean, this is like a big, I mean, it requires a lot of faith and a lot of trust. And so God's starting small with Moses with, hey, do you trust me? Lay this down. Do you trust me? Pick it up. And so Moses is obedient, um, but God is beginning to teach Moses to be obedient and teach Moses um, to to trust in him. And I think this is something that God has to do in our lives. Turn over to Matthew with me, chapter 14. Um, I, I think obedience and trust is something that needs to be learned. It's not something that we just inherently like know and get. Um, and so Matthew 14, while you're turning there, I'm going to get into the story. It's a very familiar story. We all know it. It's the, the story of Peter walking on the water with Jesus, but that's not the focal point that I want to focus on. It starts here in verse 22. Um, Jesus walks, um, or immediately Jesus made his disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was, uh, he was alone there. Verse 24 says, But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Look, be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered and said to him, Hey, Lord, uh, if that's you, command me to come out there on the water. And so Jesus said, All right, come on. And uh, when Peter had come down to the, uh, out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous and he, had, uh, or he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they had got, uh, got into the boat, the wind ceased. And then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So what I want to focus on here is really verse 22. Jesus commands his disciples to get into the boat. And what happened when they were in the boat? All hell broke loose on the water, right? Winds were coming and the water was coming on the boat. I mean, this was a scary situation. So Jesus not only knew that this was going to happen, but he commanded that they do this, that they go through this trial, that they go through this um, traumatic experience. Why do you think, I mean, Jesus loved them. Why would this happen? That's a question that us pastors and just you as believers, I'm sure, are asked multiple times. Of If God is so good and gracious and loving, why does he allow bad things to happen? You know, if, if God loved me, I wouldn't be in this situation. My marriage wouldn't be in shambles or uh, my, my wife or, or my husband wouldn't be sick with cancer. If, if God's so good and, and we have these, you know, um, the, these questions. 
But we look at here that Jesus was using this trial and this situation to strengthen the faith and the trust of the disciples. And it's not always fun. It's not always fair even um, that, that these things happen, but they are for our benefit. And so when Jesus commanded that they get on the boat, he knew exactly what that meant for them. He knew that the boat was going to be tossed to and from. He knew the wind was going. He knew, you know, and so forth. He knew that. It didn't mean that he loved them any less. In fact, he loved them so much that he wanted to to grow them in their faith and their trust in him. And this is exactly what God is doing with Moses, starting off small, you know, with, hey, what's in your hand? Lay it down. Now pick it up again. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? You look at verse 6, back in Exodus chapter 4. Picking up here in verse 6, it says, Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he, uh, and he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. And so he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like the, his other flesh. Jesus said, God saying, then it will be if they do not believe you nor hear the message of the first sign that they may believe the message of the latter, of the latter sign. And it shall be if they do not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice that you shall take water from the river and pour on dry land and the water which uh, you take from the river will become blood on dry land. So God, <clears throat> he's, he's asking Moses to do some a pretty scary, daunting task, like go before Pharaoh and ask for the release of the people, you know? So you, you can't blame Moses for being hesitant, but God doesn't let, leave him in his hesitancy. What does he do? He, he shores up his calling by saying, look, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to give you some signs that you know that I'm with you. You know, and that's the beautiful thing about the Lord. When he asks us to do something, it's not that he's just leaving us high and dry, but he's going to do the work in and through us. And so he, he shares up the faith of, of Moses here and, uh, you know, just speaks of God's long-suffering and his loving, and his loving kindness towards Moses. And then here's Moses' boneheaded response in verse 10. He says, Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and, and uh, slow of tongue. So Moses if I'm God, I'm getting irritated right now. Um, how many of you guys would be really irritated at this point? Right? So, but God didn't say that. It says his, his anger gets kindled up here in a minute, but not, not yet. Um, Moses is, is, is full of excuses at this point. He's full of excuses. And, and God doesn't choose to wipe him off the face of the earth. God doesn't choose to strike him dead. no. He, he, said, he reassures him that he's going to be with him. How many of you guys have kids that just make up some lame excuse why they didn't do what they were asked to? So this is something we can identify with, right? So I imagine God, Heavenly Father, he's got his kid Moses who's making up some lame excuse of like why he can't do what God knows he can do. You know, I ask my kids to clean up their room or whatever, and they're just like, oh, I can't do it. I'm like, yes, you can. It's funny, I was telling Bella, it was Bella yesterday, okay, so I was telling Bella, hey, you know, go get a shower, get dressed, and let's go, I can't. 
what are you, are you kidding? Like, you think I'm that dumb? Like, if, if I said, hey, go do that, because then we're going to go to your friend's house, we're going to go to Avery's house, boom, she'd be done in like three seconds, right? And so we are obedient towards those things that we want to do, right? But we are full of excuses when we don't feel like doing something. The same is true in our service here within the church and your service at home. We are full of excuses when it's not convenient for us. But when it's convenient for us, we have no problem. Sure, I'll go do this. Sure, I'll go do that. In, uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 7, Stephen is, is basically just presenting the gospel, or presenting the Messiah, Jesus, starting from the Old Testament and kind of going all the way through, right? So he brings up Moses. And here's something that Stephen says about Moses, right? Moses' response was like, I'm not eloquent. I don't know how to talk good, you know? And so Moses, or, uh, Stephen says this in Acts 7.22, Moses was learned in all wisdom of the Egyptians and mighty in words and deeds. I mean, Moses was reaching here. <laughs> Moses was reaching here, and yet God is patient. God is kind. God is, he, he's, he's long-suffering with Moses. Look at verse 11 with me. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute and the deaf and the seeing or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth, and I'm going to teach you what you shall say. So Moses' fear and self-doubt was not honoring. There's a difference between humbling admitting we can't do something and, and, using, and using that as a crutch to disobey God's call in our life. And I think, sadly, far too often, um, many of us here in this room and within the church Use, our, use excuses as a crutch why we can't obey the Lord. No doubt God is calling each and every single one of us to serve him in one way or another, to be faithful to him. And yet we're like, oh, well, I can't because of this, or I can't because of that. You know, and we use our inability as a crutch to, or not inability, we use our unwillingness as so-called, I'm not able to do that. You know, and, and God knows. We're not, we're not fooling anyone. We're not fooling. We can fool maybe our, our, our spouses or we can fool our friends or our neighbors, but we're not fooling God. God knows what you're able and not able to do. And if God's called you to do something, that means you're able to do it. Maybe you're not in and of yourself, but God, through you, you can do it. So verse 12, it says, Now therefore go, and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with your mouth, and I'm going to teach you what you shall say. So what it boils down to here is a lack of trust that Moses has for the Lord. Moses is lacking trust. And we tend to trust those whom we know really well, right? If we know them, we're able to trust them. How many of you guys would just let your kids go spend the night with someone that you have no idea who they are? Nobody, right? But say it's a family that you know and trust really well you're more apt to let your, your kid go, right? Because you know them and you trust them. When we doubt and we don't trust the Lord, it's because we have a lack, um, our relationship and our intimacy with him is lacking. Because we don't, we don't have a problem trusting those whom we know and love. It's just those that we don't know and we don't love as much that we, we tend to not trust 
So you look at the word trust and the actual definition, and it says this, the firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. So do we have, do we know the Lord enough so we can trust him? How, how, do you, how can you build your trust in, in the Lord? Get to know him. How do you get to know the Lord? Getting into his word. And that's not just going to happen. The Bible is not just going to open itself up and, and read it to you. You get to know Jesus by investing in your relationship with him. Jesus says, look, if you lack, ask. You want to get to know me? If you draw near to me, I'm going to draw near to you. That's what God's promise is in his word. We don't, if we don't trust him, it's, it's, on our, it's on us. It's not on him. Verse 13, this is where God starts to get a little ticked off here. And he says, uh, but he said, or Moses rather, he said, look, oh my Lord, oh my Lord, please, like begging, I can see, please send by the hand of whomever, he didn't care who, just whoever else that you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. I don't know about you, but I'm not trying to have the anger of the Lord kindled against me. Um, I mean, having the, the, the anger of the spouse kindled against you is, is bad enough. Having, imagine having the Lord mad and just, I mean, it's, it's not like he's disappointing. He's mad. Why? Because Moses is unable? No, Moses is unwilling. And that's what God's upset with. God wasn't angry with Moses up until this point here in Scripture. Moses, he wasn't angry when Moses asked, are you sure you know, uh, are, you, are you sure you know who I am? Like, who am I? Like, do you know me, God? Like, I, I can't do this. He wasn't mad with that. He wasn't angry when Moses said, you know, how do I know and how will the people of Israel, the elders of Israel, how, how are we going to know that you're really God? He wasn't angry then. I mean, if I'm God, thank God that I'm not God, but I'm, I'd be irritated, more than irritated, I'd be mad. He wasn't angry that Moses didn't believe God's word when God said, basically said, or Moses basically called God a liar by saying, well, what if they don't believe me after God said, they will believe you. I mean, Moses called God a liar, and yet God's long-suffering and isn't angry, and he's not angry up until when? So Moses flat out is unwilling to obey the call of the Lord. And so that's a word here for, for some of you that you know what you've been called to do, whether it's be a, be a better husband, be a better father, wife, mother, servant, child of God, whatever it is, and we're flat out unwilling to do it because it means we have to give up something or it's taking away from our, our time, our me time. I mean, this is, this is a, a warning here in Scripture that you don't want the anger of the Lord to come against you, and we need to be obedient to what God says. And we think somehow as believers that obedience is, is some sort of a choice. I mean, you don't see that in Scripture. God doesn't, like you look at the Great, or the great Commission, go make disciples of all nations, right? Like preach, be about Jesus. That, I mean, Jesus, it's called a command. It's, it's not a suggestion. I mean, and so 
when God's saying, look, I want to use you, and I'm going to not only use you, but I'm going to do all the work, Moses is like, no, just send whoever else. I mean, I give it to Moses. At least he's being honest at this point. Um, so, but God was angry when Moses was just plan, or plain, unwilling, and, and defiant. Um, look, look at verse 14. God is, God is faithful, and in a roundabout way, he gives Moses a little bit of what he wanted. And so it says, The anger of the Lord was, was kindled against Moses. Um, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is coming to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you should uh, speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you, um, I will teach you, what you shall do. Verse 16, so he said, or so he shall be your spokesman to the people and he himself shall be as a mouth for you and you shall be to him as God. Verse 17, it says, and you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do these signs. So God here, um, essentially he says, okay, you're gonna be unwilling, I'm gonna use Aaron. Now you think like Moses won here, right? Like that's initially when you look at that, you're like, oh, well, God gave in and gave Moses what he wanted, but that's actually not the case. So you look at through the, the book of Exodus and Numbers, you, Aaron ended up being uh, a thorn in Moses' side, ended up being a, a pain in, in the butt to work with. Um, Aaron, when Moses went to Mount Sinai, you know, and, and he comes back, and what, like what happens when he comes back? Aaron's got the whole town worshiping golden little statues, golden calves, right? Like, what the heck? I left for like five minutes and I come back and like everyone's worshiping these little statues. Um, Aaron's sons end up blasphemy, you know, doing this blasphemy in the temple. And then Aaron ends up leading a revolt, a mutiny against uh, Moses in the, in the book of Numbers. I mean, so what Moses wanted was, was someone else to do uh, the hard work and yet end up being harder on him by his disobedience, um, end up being harder on, on uh on Moses in, in the long run. And you look at, I, mean, I just thought of this right now, I don't know why I didn't think of this earlier, but you think, of what was one of the main reasons that Moses didn't make it into the promised land? Disobedience, right? Disobedience. You look at, Moses has a, a track with disobedience here. You know, and it's just a word for, for myself as well as the rest of us that, man, when God wants, God requires our obedience. You know, and each of us are being called in different areas and called to be obedient to certain things. Um, and so I just encourage you to, um, to listen when God's calling you to do something, to, to actually to do it. And so, um, we're, we're going to, what I want to challenge you guys to is think about a couple of things. One, what is in your hand? What do you have in front of you that you can control? You can control your obedience. You can't control what's being asked of you by your bosses at work, right? By God. You can't control a lot of things. But what you can control is how you respond. Sarah and I took this marriage class uh, a couple years ago called Love and Respect. And one thing that really stuck with me over the years is something that uh, Dr. Emerson, um, he said, is, you know, I think it was talking about like conflict re- resolution between, you know, uh, mar- or in your marriage. And one thing that he said that's always stuck with me is that our response as spouses and as children of God, our response is our responsibility. We can't control that side of it. All we can control is how we respond. 
The same is true with what God's asking each and every one of us to do. We can, re- we can choose to respond in obedience or disobedience and being unwilling to the Lord's call. And that's, that's up to you. So I want to challenge you guys to think about a few things. God wants to use you to do great things for him and his kingdom, but it's going to require trust and obedience. So God's asking you the question that he asked Moses here in verse 2, what is in your hand? Maybe it's your marriage. You need to trust him with your marriage. Trust him with your, your spouse, with your kids, with your finances, with your, with your career. But what, what is in your hand? What's that right thing right in front of you that God's asking you to lay it down? Do you trust me?